baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Thank you for tuning in to Buffalo Means Business on News Radio 930 WBEN. I'm Randy Bushover. The program highlights local businesses and services in the region, and if there's a local business or service you'd like to hear from, send me an email at randy.bushover at entercom.com. With me, a pair of directors from Freed Maxic CPAs, Tim McPoland and Joe Aquino. Gentlemen, thanks for coming in. Thank you, Randy. Thanks for having us. Among the areas that you guys work within, fraud investigations, forensic accounting, how does that work exactly, fraud investigations? What sort of thing is it that you actually do? So typically we get called in when there's been a potential embezzlement within a organization, white-collar crime, and determine the amount of money that was stolen. And how exactly do you go through that process? Uh, Does someone come to you and say, hey, I think we have a problem, or do you actually do all of the work to find that there is a problem and then go kind of backtrack it? Usually we get called from the owner of the business or their attorney and they feel that they've uncovered some impropriety within the organization and they want us to come in and determine if, uh, you know, what is the extent of the crime. How, I guess I should go back and also establish that you guys have more than just the office here in Buffalo. You guys are pretty widespread. Yes, we have approximately 300 employees. We, we're headquartered down in Buffalo in the Liberty Building. We've been there since 1958. We're celebrating 60 years in business, which is a great accomplishment uh, we're very proud of. And we also have an office in Batavia, Rochester, and Syracuse. All right. And Joe, we haven't heard from you yet. So explain what it is that you do for Freed Maxic CPAs. I'm a director both in the audit and accounting, but I also uh, work in our business valuation litigation support group. So uh, what that means is Tim and I typically, if it's Working with attorneys or in situations where there's shareholder disputes, issues between shareholders, uh, where they can't necessarily come to an agreement on the the value of the company, we're brought in to kind of help with that process. So evaluation is needed because uh, what they're trying to do is settle that financial transaction with the affected shareholder and they can't can't come to an agreement on what the the actual value, value of that ownership in the company is worth. All right, Tim, what are the typical fraud scenarios that you've seen or worked on? So most of the cases are really not that complicated. Typically, you've got a bookkeeper or controller who is very involved in the business. There's a lack of segregation of duties. And, uh, you know, typically we see is uh, cash payments out to that individual or payments to fictitious vendors or, you know, stealing cash before it gets recorded in the uh, on the books and records so uh, most of them are not very complicated but it's all but it's determining you know when did the crime start uh, what were the type of schemes because typically there may be multiple schemes that are involved not just you know uh, paying uh, their personal corporate credit card with uh, personal funds corporate funds so it's multiple uh, different types of scenarios that you will see and just to reset, how exactly are these fraud, uh, frauds, probably not the proper word, but you know what I mean, how are they discovered, uncovered? Typically, it's, it's by accident. You know, over 50% is either the bookkeeper controller is on vacation 
or out sick and an accounting question comes up and the owner or some of the other employees start to look for the answer and all of a sudden they uncover some something that looks not right. And that's typically when we get involved in. Or you may get a call from a vendor or from a, a charge card company, Visa or Amex says, hey, we're noticing that uh, this individual's monthly credit card is being paid by corporate funds. Do you guys aware of that? So many times it's just by a hot tip or just, you know, by accident. Talking to uh, Tim McPoland and Joe Aquino, both directors for Freedmax CPAs. And Joe, I want to turn to you for the business valuation part of things. So uh, what type of scenarios do you typically see business valuations used for when it comes to litigation? Sure. I'd say the most common, Randy, is when there's issues between shareholders. You know, we'll see either there's a shareholder buyout or a dissenting shareholder that's not happy with the situation and wants out and they can't come to an agreement on price. So uh, what the valuation does is it you know, determines a price that can be used to, to kind of settle that transaction for the affected shareholder. And that's, of course, very interesting. What is the process once the situation is identified and you've brought it into the situation? So when the, when the parties can't agree, what they'll do is, you know, and the parties can be either existing shareholders with the company. It could be if the shareholder dies, there's a dispute with that shareholder's estate where they can't come to an agreement on price. So the process typically is with the parties They'll both hire an independent appraiser to do a valuation. And once those valuations are done, if they still can't come to an agreement, then a lot of times it will end up in court where the valuator ends up being an expert witness to defend their report in front of a judge or jury. Uh, The process itself can get pretty complicated in that we're looking at historical, several years of historical or projected financial information, trying to analyze the historical trends of the company, what what does the operations look like over the last few years? What is it projected to look like over the next few years? Are there anomalies included, meaning are there things that maybe are one-offs that might affect the value of the company? Are there things that aren't comparable to the market or to other companies in that uh, industry that the company we're valuing is involved in? And it's looking at, is owner's compensation excessive? Are there family members included on the payroll or other non-operating type expenses? Are there one-time hits that might, you know, help or or, uh, hurt the value of that company that we're trying to normalize an earnings stream to come up with a fair market value? And and just to add on to that, Joe, I mean, business valuation isn't so much an exact science. So you can get five valuators in a room, they'll all come up with five different valuations. But uh, there's, you know, over the years, there's much more empirical data, there's much more transactional data out there that you can pull from to support a valuation of a, of a business. Yeah, I was going to ask you guys about that because that seems like that would be one of the hardest things to do is to figure out, you know, based on, first of all, what product or service that the, the business is offering, and that's going to maybe change depending on market value of that particular product, right? Right, exactly. And, and in today's environment, I mean, the multiples that are being paid for businesses is extraordinary, you know, but we have to look at, you know, empirical data, look at rates of return in the marketplace, and what would a willing buyer and a willing seller pay for that business? And you're looking at ultimately the cash flow from the operations. You know, how good is the cash flow and how consistent will that be to pay back, you know, the return on the dollars that are being invested in the business? And and that's why you want to normalize it too, because a lot of times there could be things that happened in the past that 
aren't necessarily going to be reflective of what's happening in the future that could impact the overall value for that company. And Joe, uh, as you and Tim just talked about, that's a pretty involved uh, amount of information there. What can business owners put in place to prevent the need for all of this? Yep, it, it, it can be pretty extensive as well as expensive uh, for the business owner. So what, one of the recommendations is to, to have a solid buy-sell agreement in place. You know, I think a lot of times business owners aren't necessarily focused on that aspect. They're rightfully so or obviously focused on the day-to-day operations of running their business. And if, especially if things are going well, then they're not really worried about what's going to happen if things aren't going so well. And so a solid buy-sell agreement will help in, in kind of laying out the process that the company will use if any of these shareholder situations arise, such as you know the death of a shareholder or the disability of a shareholder where he can't work or she can't work anymore, uh, or just the case if a shareholder no longer wants to be an owner in the company. It'll not only help with the process, but it'll, it'll lay out how the value of that company is going to be determined. It could be a, a specific formula that the company uses, or it could be just a reference to using an independent appraiser such as Tim and I. Uh, it helps not only because a lot of times in reality, what we've seen is even when a buy-sell agreement is in place, it, it's not reviewed or updated all that often, and it hasn't been looked at since it was even created. So the value or the formula that's being used isn't updated or current with the operations of the company and you have disputes between shareholders because they can't agree on the value. So if it's updated periodically, whether it's every year, whether it's every couple years, everybody's more in line with that value and the methodologies that are being used and it just helps alleviate issues in the future. Uh, Tim, if we could uh, shift back to the fraud investigations portion and how do you perform an investigation? What are the key elements to that? The key elements is when you suspect something is happening, an impropriety is to secure documentation, secure bank records, secure information systems, the computer records uh, for the potential perpetrator. Because there has to be some form of reconnaissance. You may pick up on a tip that you know there's some impropriety going on, so you may have to spend nights and weekends pulling records together. And so what you want to do is you want to build your case before the perpetrator knows that something's going on. And so when you eventually address the perpetrator with the evidence that you do have, it's a lot stronger case than if the perpetrator thinks that you're starting to investigate something. Then you start destroying records, and you know, it makes your uh, case a lot harder to try and develop against that particular individual. And I would imagine that would make that even more difficult to resolve then if, if you are, in fact, having records destroyed and then trying to figure out a way to either get those back electronically or by some other method. Yeah, absolutely, because you know, banks typically, after five or seven years, destroy bank records. So, I mean, the typical embezzlement lasts, you know, four to five years. We've been involved with some that go back as long as 25 years. So, uh, so in order to prove the amount of money that was taken, you have to have access to all the records as far back as that individual started working for the company. And even though uh, the two of you, Tim and Joe, kind of work different ends of things, I would imagine there are a number of times where both of your cases kind of come together, right? Where you've got some fraud involved uh, along with uh, the business valuation because those two would be intertwined, perhaps. Yeah, if you start looking at on the valuation side where there may be money going out the back door for potentially a third party that 
maybe the owner is also involved in, and so you've got money being siphoned out to that third-party vendor, and that was a way for that individual to take additional money out of the business, and there's no really services being performed. So obviously in Joe's situation, you would possibly uncover that and then treat that as an add back or a normalization adjustment because the profits of the company were artificially deflated because this person was actually siphoning money off through another company. And do either of you know, is there such a thing as knowing how prevalent this is now as compared to years past? Is this Are we seeing about the same amount of uh, the fraud and that sort of thing, or is there less? With the advent of the casinos and the buildup of casinos, because people don't steal money to hoard it and stick it underneath their mattress. There's usually a need why they're stealing the money, and gambling is the number one reason out there. Um, I've worked on a number of cases with the district attorney's office. I started probably 20 years ago, and the average embezzlement was twenty dollars to $30,000. Now it's two hundred to $300,000. So there is a need out there. The casinos are probably the biggest reason. Uh, lifestyle changes. People like to keep up with the Joneses, and you've got somebody making $60,000 a year but drives around in expensive cars, goes on lavish vacations, puts their kids through, you know, expensive colleges. So I always tell everybody a lot of the clues are very visual. You can start to see one plus one doesn't add up to two. You know, their lifestyle exceeds what they're they're getting paid. So uh, it makes it um, for interesting um, investigations. And, and Joe, I, anything to follow up on with that? Yeah, and I think, you know, Tim can elaborate more, I think, but initially, too, as you start to uncover the fraud and the dollars start to add up, it's never initially what they think. You know, they'll estimate one number, and once, you know, all the fraud work is done, it, it could be a significant amount more that actually ends up being embezzled. So, you know, I think if they start to understand that there's a situation and a lot of times it doesn't come to light or they don't want it to come to light and, and think they can handle it on their own, then the, the amount of the loss is actually significantly amount more once we get in and start doing the work. And, and unfortunately, generally, there's no restitution there. Very seldom you'll get any kind of restitution. So, Well, gentlemen, learned a lot and know that I just scratched the surface on uh, both topics. So thank you for enlightening us on what you did so far. Thanks, Thank Randy. you, Randy. Those are directors Tim McPoland and Joe Aquino with Freed Maxic CPAs. This is Buffalo Means Business on News Radio 930 WBEN. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.